Welcome to the KBB From the Top podcast. I'm executive editor Chelsea Butler, and today I am welcoming designer Sharon Sherman, founder and principal of Time and Place Design in Wyckoff, New Jersey. She is going to talk to us about what every designer needs to know about project contracts, aka letters of agreement, which is a very important topic these days. So welcome, Sharon, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chelsea. Thank you for having me again. Hello, everybody. How are you doing? So let's start off by telling us briefly how you learned all you know about creating thorough contracts slash letters of agreement with your clients. So I worked for a large design build firm and they had a contract, they had a standard contract. And when I started doing commercial projects for them, there were a lot of situations we were running into that were not covered in their residential contracts. So I sat down with my employer and I said, look, we really need to take a look at what we're including here and what we're not. And there's some really important things that have to be covered. So we did, we modified it, moved forward. When I left that firm and went to my own business, I said, okay, I'm going to be doing K&B, but I'm also doing interior design. I mean, that was my first, you know, my first degree, my first love, although I spent 20 years in the K&B world. So I knew for me, I need to put together a letter of agreement that was going to work for both the K&B world and the interior design world. And there's not a lot of really good ones out there. Um, And you can pull canned ones from, um, from many places but they don't really address what goes on in a day-to-day business that I found I needed to have covered. And the more I would talk to interior designers and kitchen and bath people, I would say, well, you know, what does it say? They'd ask me a question. I said, well, what does it say in your, your agreement? And they're like, am I what? (laughs) So I came to realize that it was important for people to understand, you know, some really basic things to protect their business. We are a litigious society. I got a kid who went to law school. He's now engaged to a lawyer. I have so many clients that are lawyers and they all take a red pen to my contract when we sit down and then I hand it back to them and say, well, that's not my contract anymore. Um, So it's really important to protect our businesses and protect what we do. And I think the pandemic really showed everybody, you know, how important it is to spell out who's doing what, what's being done, where it's being done, who's responsible for it, how it's going to happen, what you're paying for, how you're getting paid, even to the point of, you know, communications, like, so that you're not getting calls 11 o'clock at night, you know, Sunday afternoons and Tuesday in the middle of the day. And I mean, it starts to get crazy and it becomes very difficult. So all of those things, if it's spelled out, It makes it so much easier and it just reduces conflict, which is what everybody's trying to avoid, right? No one wants conflict on a project. We like our clients. We need our clients. Our clients are what drives our businesses, but we also need to make sure that we're protected. And that was how these things started to happen. So every time something would happen to me, example, I was doing a bathroom. We opened up a wall. I asked my client to make sure that her cats were safe and secure. And you are a cat person. You know how curious cats are. Well, the cat got into the wall in this little teeny tiny hole. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So it took us two days to get the cat back out again. And it made me then realize that in my contract, it now says, I'm sorry, pets really cannot be allowed to be anywhere near the construction area of the projects that we're working on, because that could have been really, really bad. Um, and I'm an animal lover. You know, you've seen the kitties that I take care of and the pups. So things like that start to explain to me, OK, you need to have all these things spelled out. So let's talk a little bit about some of the ABCs about a sound letter of agreement, just sort of understanding the value of a good letter of agreement. Absolutely. Um, So first of all, 
A letter of agreement should be written in plain language. So just like we're talking right now, pets may not be allowed on the construction site. Um, it can be done on letterhead. It can be done numbered. It can be done bulleted. What's really important is that you make sure that in your state, a letter of agreement is considered a legal document because not every state recognizes a letter of agreement as a contract. So you have to be careful what you call it. And anytime you do any sort of legal documents, I'm not a lawyer, I'm a designer. Um, I've been doing this many, many years. I've just learned from experience, but I do have a lawyer review my contract anytime I make a change to it. Um, I try, it's a lawyer that knows the interior design as well as the kitchen and bath business, understands construction. So here's the caveat. You need to make sure that an attorney reviews whatever documents you are signing. So that's my, my most important takeaway from all of this. Um, you have to just include all of the things that are going to happen from the first moment you meet a client through the final payment and who calls for final inspections. So you need to cover the scope of work, right? What is the work? What's being done? Where is it being done? How is it being done? Are you going to take pictures of the project before? Are you going to take pictures of the project after? Um, all of those things, and it's got to be real specific. We are going to remodel your kitchen, which is located at 123 Main Street, Anywhere USA. Um, the people that are involved in the making decisions and financial um, accommodations for this contract are, you know, Mary A and Johnny B or, you know, Kevin and Mark or Sally and Susie, whoever it is, really clearly spelled out the specifics of what you're going to do, the specifics of how it's going to happen, right? So, an example of um, something else you put in there, what are the detailed expectations during the scope of work? Um, you know, who's going to be relating information to you about that job and who is responsible for those different areas? I'm responsible for cabinets, countertops, fittings, fixtures, and tile. And um, it will be very clearly delineated. So that would be kind of your scope of work. Terms of conditions are going to be, you know, job access, additional um, uh, existing conditions, additional work orders, um, fees like storage, right? We've run into that where we, we're waiting to get something or waiting to get to a project and you're incurring storage fees. Who takes care of storage fees? Whose responsibility is that? Um, what happens for, um, you know, what is the designer going to do? What is the contractor going to do? What is the owner going to do? Especially if homeowners are involved in making uh, purchases, right? Everybody wants to know, so there's no finger pointing. Well, I wasn't doing that. You were. No, no, they were doing that. No, that's your, that has to really be clearly delineated. So I supply fittings and fixtures and tile. I do not install them. That is under the, the coverage of the general contractor. I do install the cabinets. Um, the warranty on the cabinets are not from me. They are from the manufacturer, just like on anything else that is purchased, it's all manufacturer related. So those are the type of things for terms and conditions. Does that right? Sense? Yeah, and most definitely. Um, so you talked about you know, in these contracts that you need to detail the what, when, where, how much. So yep. let's start out with, we'll kind of go in order. Um, let's start out with the what, what does that entail? Okay. What? So what are you buying, right? What are the selections? What are the finishes? What are some of the variations that might happen? So, you know, in the kitchen that I'm sitting in front of, there is an antique beam on the front of that hood. So, you know, I showed an image of that to my clients because it was at my cabinet shop. <laughs> Um, which is not in the area. And I said, well, here's the images. 
And this is what it's going to look like in a photo. So they had to understand that it's an old piece of wood. It was going to be rough. There's going to be variations in color and texture. And they had to sign off on that. Same thing with the countertops. You know, that's a, a natural material countertop behind me. So there's going to be naturally occurring things in that countertop that I cannot control. Um, so that would be something that would be in the what. Um, it would also be um, materials, a specification list of materials and an approval for those materials as well as the plans. Um, I would probably also have um, what the costs of all those items are in that specification sheet. So the kitchen is going to cost this much and it includes this much. So that's the what's, all the things, the things you can put your hands on that are, you know, that are um, physical pieces that will be included in the project and the details about each of those. All right, then we'll move on to the when. So the when, um, and a lot of this is also dictated by state law. So here in New Jersey, for example, um, you have three days to change your mind and get a full refund. So things like that need to be in there. Um, other states have different rules about deposits and monies and escrows, and they're all different. So that's why it's really important that you check with state and local laws and rules, and also have an attorney that is that is really up to date on all of those um, on all of those rules. So the timeline, how long are things going to take? Um, what is the presentation for the design process? I'm going to measure your house, you're going to give me a retainer, and I am then going to be back to you within so many days to create a plan. And um, I'm going to present the plan and the finishes and so on and so forth under this specific schedule. And you have to stick to the schedule. Um, you have a caveat in there, of course, that says this is all based on the client's ability to make um, selections. And that has to be written in as well, because you could have a very strict timeline and then your client just can't make a decision. So that can skew what you have now placed in your contract. So those are the caveats that would also be in there. What else would be in the when? Um, substantial completions, you know, when it will be done. So in my contract, it basically says, we are going to supply these cabinets. It is approximately this many weeks from the date that I place the order with the factory until pro products arrive in your home. And um, during that time, this is what's going to happen. And then we will, to the best of our ability, complete your project within this amount of time once cabinets have been delivered to the, to the project. Um, and then things that are out of our control as well. So I don't sell appliances. We ordered and installed a kitchen last August and their range just arrived last week. So there are a lot of things that we could not finish in that kitchen um, that had nothing to do with anything that we would supply. So all of those caveats would be in there. And that's really the, um, the wins. When you say that um, in your state, there's three days to decide to change your mind and you get your money back, that's the it's a buyer's remorse court, a okay. buyer's remorse clause that is a state of New Jersey um, oh. thing. They have other states have it too. Some have less time, some have more time. But if you change your mind, um, and that's why I'll say to my clients, okay, you know, you're signing this contract today. Please note, I'm not going to deposit. I actually give clients a lot more time. I'm not going to deposit your check for a week just in case, you know, something happens and they cannot move forward. Then you need to have, that's the other thing you need to have. What if you are going to cancel? You know, do you have cancellation um, stipulations in your contract? Do you allow somebody to cancel? Everything I order is 
custom. And there's only so long that you can go, you know, before I incur cancellation charges. And if you do cancel, what is, what is, I don't want to call it penalties. Penalties is a terrible word, but um, you know, like all that. So if I've put in 60 hours of design time with you and selections and measuring and doing all these things, that I am then compensated for my time if you do not move forward. So those are really important things that should be covered as well um, when it comes to things like when and, and timelines. All right, now we'll move on to the where. Where is it happening? Right? Where where are these things taking place? What is the specific room in your house? Um, uh, where are we going to store materials? So I just had one where the cabinets came earlier, which has not happened in the last three years. Uh, cabinets came a month early and I'm like, um, so I said to my clients, I can store them. This is going to be the storage charge or can I deliver them to your house? We're going to be working in this adjacent room. Can we just kind of shift this furniture over? Can I place the cabinets there? Absolutely. So my cabinets have been waiting for us and they're all very happy in their dining room. Um, you know, the uh, temperature that things have to be stored in, I learned that from construction sites where we'd have cabinets delivered and they'd be putting them in a shed that was not humidity or temperature controlled and cabinets really don't like that. Gee, it's 20 degrees at night and 70 degrees the next day. Um, so things like that are going to be super important. Um, you know, leaving tools on the site, making sure that we can lock a room um, so that we can, you know, the guys don't have to pack up everything and move it out every day because that that's a time, a time constraint. Um, facilities for the workers. You know, is there a dedicated bathroom in the house that people can use? They're going to be in your house from 7.30 in the morning until five o'clock in the afternoon. Um, if not, do we need to have a portage on? You know, that's an important, an important question that not everybody really thinks about, um, you know, reminding everybody that there's going to be dust, no matter how many walls we seal with plastic, no matter how many temporary doors we put in, um, there's going to be things that happen that, uh, that you have to know are going to happen in your home. Like it says, you must take any hanging pieces off the walls in adjacent rooms because you start hammering things. And like, I'm just looking at your lovely photos behind your head. If we were working on the room on the opposite wall, those pictures would probably fall down. So things like that need to be protected. So those are, you know, some of the, um, the wares. What type of worksite protection? So we put up plastic walls. There are times we put in temporary doors. Um, we'll cover the floors, what we're going to cover the floors with. Um, but dust is dust and dust gets places, but those all, all those types of specifications, you know, can we use a lockbox on the house so that people can get in and out? Do you want to be home all the time? If you're not going to be home and you don't want to have a lockbox, can we call you every morning and have you automatically open the door and then lock it at night? Um, all of those details really need to be spelled out. So there's not, there's not a question, you know, um, you don't ever want to run into a question that turns into a difficult situation. So if you can discuss that early on, it makes it so much easier. Like we just did a bathroom in somebody's house and my clients look, I'm going to leave all the draperies up and, you know, in the, in the bedroom. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we'll cover the bed. And we did a really good job. We covered everything in plastic, but I said to her, you're just not jumping back into this bed when we're done. You need to take all of this stuff down. You need to have it all cleaned. And she did. And uh, she, she was very happy to tell me that the painters washed all the walls down before they painted, which is also something in my contract. Um, but uh, she, she was like, I, I've cleaned all the furniture, I've cleaned everything up, and now we're ready to move back into the space. 
All right, great. Well, then let's let's talk about the most important part, maybe the how much. The how much, <laughs> yeah. So anything that has a dollar sign associated with it, you need to have in your contract, whether it's how you handle an additional work order. So Okay, so Chelsea, I'm doing your office and, you know, you've decided this beautiful back, black, back wall is done and you love the way everything looks. And now you'd like to add wall coverings to the room. And can we do that? Sure. Can we add additional lights? Can we add this and that? Sure. That would then be noted that that would have to be approved by you in writing and it would be attended to on an additional work authorization. And that is how we would move forward with any additional work that would be going on. Um, what are the payment terms and conditions? What is your payment schedule? I have a very specific this much on deposit, this much when the cabinets are shipped to my warehouse, this much when the countertops are templated, this much upon completion of the, of the punch list. Um, who writes the punch list? I write the punch list. Because um, sometimes people punch list the job when it's halfway through and they're like, this isn't finished yet. And I'm like, well, nothing's finished yet. Um, so that's really important. Um, what am I being compensated for? Am I being paid for cabinets, countertops, fittings, fixtures, and tile? Um, am I just paid to shop for those things? Am I paid for the design only? Um, if you don't use my contractors, I actually have a, um, a construction observation fee. If you want me to sit and watch your contractors for eight hours who are not mine, um, I can do that, but I do get charged for that. And that's one of the reasons most people really like to work with my team because we are a team and it really runs smoothly. I have gone to jobs and watched people really mishandle product and I knew it was going to be a problem at the end. So that's one of the reasons that that clause came in. Um, how much am I being paid? Right. If you're being paid an hour, what is your hourly fee? Is there a different amount that you're being paid to shop for things versus design for things versus supervise or oversee construction. Um, that's something that would be in there. What type of payments do you accept? Do you take credit cards? Do you take checks only? Do you like cash? Um, I don't like cash. Um, do you take Zelle? Do you take any of these others? And specifically, if you're working with credit cards, how that works, is it going through PayPal? How quickly does compensation have to come through? All of those things need to be um, detailed. Um, we talked a little bit about cancellation fees and storage fees. But anything that you are selling that somebody is buying and paying for needs to be listed somewhere. And it may just be a specification sheet that is an attachment to your agreement. So we have um, we have those as well. And everybody signs off on each and every item within that. All right. So I feel like we've talked about just pretty much everything we can think of, but there's got to be some extras, some miscellaneous items, some other things that you can maybe tell us about that, that design pros need to consider in their contracts. Um, well, <laughs> you know, you have to really have somebody that looks into all of the rules that, re that pertain to permitting or permitting um, local state regulations for licensing insurance, what type of insurance. Um, it does mention in my contract that we are covered. Um, you know, if we're not covered, if somebody's not covered, if you're in a state where, you know, we, we can't. So in New Jersey, 
even though they tell you you can do replacements without needing a building permit, you still need a building permit if you change a switch. And for people that are taking out permits, then you have to be able to be licensed to take out those permits if you are doing the work and therefore you must be insured. Not everybody is insured though. So um, if it's a situation where that is not something that's overseen by the state, you need to make sure who's ever in your house is insured and whoever you have working for is insured because if somebody breaks something or damages something, we had a when I worked for my old firm, we had a client who had specimen trees all over their property. And there was a dumpster that was delivered and the dumpster clipped a corner of the specimen tree that turned out to be like a $10,000 tree. <laughs> and, you know, no one specified whether who would be responsible for that. So um, the company I worked for ended up replacing this very lovely specimen tree, which was a lot of money. So um, those little details. Um, the fact that you own the rights to your projects. I have a client who um, called me one day and said, my kitchen is in a magazine as an ad from another company. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and I had to then call that company and say, you don't own the rights to the photos and you really need to take care of um, not running this and collecting all of those magazines. Um, so you, you, you need to be very clear about who owns the rights. I explained to my clients, the reason that we do that is just that, you know, I've designed the space. We have put all the project together. I can't have somebody else then go out and take credit for the beautiful work that we do because we do beautiful work and our clients are very happy and we do own the rights to those things so that someone can't go out and suddenly open their own business and say, look what I did. Um, <laughs> which happens, it happens, it happens, it happens. Um, you know, and you need to also make sure that you, you have to be careful if you're doing um, virtual design work because now you're working out of state. So whatever other states you're working in, you should really look into that and make sure that you're covered for any virtual design work that you, that you might possibly be doing. Um, you know, always consult an attorney when you make your changes. Um, don't be afraid to update your agreement. I just made another addition to an agreement about um, warranty work because I replaced, I got, somebody had a, a door that was damaged um, and they, it was, I don't know what happened. The, the door just cracked. So I got a new door and the manufacturers do not cover my labor to go back to that house and change the door and redrill the hardware and do any of those things. So I really had to specify very clearly in my contract that warranty work, although the materials may be covered, the labor for me is not. And, you know, for have a, car a carpenter go in or an electrician, I had a defective light fixture, it just stopped working. It was two months old. So the manufacturer was willing to give me a new light fixture, but they were not willing to pay for the electrician to go in and change it. And it happened to be in a 20 foot high ceiling. So that meant they had to put scaffolding up and everything else. So um, that was covered because that was in my contract. But I think that's a super important, um, a super important thing to remember. Um don't allow pets into a modeled area and don't allow house guests into a modeled area. You know, sometimes people have you, someone staying in their home and they'll come down in the morning and, you know, looking for the refrigerator, they have no shoes on, you know, a construction site is just that a construction site. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can get hurt walking around without the proper shoes on. Um, 
one cute little pup that's actually one of the photos in one of my kitchens. He loved everybody and would come in every morning and would eat screw caps. So oh, no. just said, <laughs> you really can't let him onto the job because he had to go to the bed. He got um, sick from eating all these screw caps and everybody's like, well, I'm sorry, I'm trying to clean it up. Um, so I think that was, was really important. Um, make sure that your, your letter of agreement matches your business model. So whatever you're doing, you should have something included in your agreement that you are providing that service, or this is what I'm doing that's included in the contract. And not everybody is the same thing. Some people do design only. They they don't supply cabinets and they don't supply countertops. They may just do the design work and give you suggestions of what you can get. And that needs to be very specific because people, you know, you don't want people to say, well, I assumed you were getting that for me. You never want anyone to use the word assumed. That's that's not a good, that's not a good situation. Read your contract line by line to your client. So I make a game of it. I get, um, if they really want to have something in their hand, they can have a pencil if they want with an eraser on it, but it is still my contract. I read it line by line. Now I have, I'm really good at it. And we've kind of made a game at it. I'm like, okay, it's contract reading time. And people say, you're going to make us listen to this. I'm like, yeah, so let's go through it real quick. And, um, you know, I've learned how to present it in a way that I can get through it quickly, but I read each and every line. So if there's a question, I can answer it right there. If there's a note that has to be added, I can add it right there. And then we sign, sign it, two copies, and everybody gets a copy of that agreement. So I really think that's um, that's the, the most important part is to um, is to read your contract line by line. And as I said, I did a project for an attorney and he redlined almost everything. And I just said, well, then I guess we're not working together. Right. <laughs> he was like, what? I said, this is my contract, not yours. And right. this is what I need if we're going to work together. And he kind of laughed and then he goes, all right. So we started again and um, I had to send new copies and we we read through them again. I did another project for them. And he jokingly said, I didn't touch one thing in the contract. And I'm like, thank you. So um, <laughs> it went well. <laughs> they came back and did another project with us, which was great. But I think it's important that you are not afraid to read your contract to your client. Absolutely. I mean, you're going to spend a lot of time with them, right? So and know that, and they're like, well, why do I have to, why, do, why am I doing this? My wife or my husband or my partner or my whomever, you know, is really the one who's going to be involved in this. And I said, no, 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 you're both involved in this. So that at the end you can't say, well, how did this become so expensive? You know? And I'm like, well, you know, you said we could do whatever we wanted and then you were no longer involved in the project. So everybody that's involved in money needs to be involved from start to finish. All right. Awesome. Well, I think we dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's. Hopefully <laughs> everybody, everything has been covered in our discussion. So I think so. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing all this wonderful information with our, with our followers. Thank you for having me on again, Chelsea. I always love this time with you.